This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Psalm 80 as a part of the time of Advent. In this passage, the psalmist holds together light and lament. Together, we discuss how through the vulnerability of lament, we experience the fullness of God's light. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Back with you guys this week to uh, just continue our conversations that we have every Sunday. Um, Just as a reminder, last week we finished our journeying through Haggai and Malachi, ending with this conversation on just the importance of relationship and the importance of just focusing on relationship in the moment rather than focusing on the results that the relationship might bring. Um, And it was appropriate for us to be closing with Malachi as Malachi ends with um, this this anticipation uh, of something to come. It's also the final book of the Old Testament, which is anticipating the New Testament that comes. And uh, we know that in at the beginning of the New Testament, we have the birth of Christ. And so this week, uh, we actually move into our Advent series um, where we're going to be using uh, the, the material, the joy of every longing heart as kind of a, a guide. Uh, but with that, each, each week for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a different psalm to carry us through this season of Advent. And um, just really quickly, uh, Advent is this time that we are in where we are we're waiting. We are um, expectantly awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Um, and this is both a, a Advent that took place historically, right? Because Jesus was born, um, but an Advent that we are actively in as well as we are waiting for uh, the, the second coming of Christ even now. And so this week, we're going to be moving into uh, Psalm 80, um, for our, our conversation. And I believe Natasha is going to be reading that for us today. Um, but Psalm 80 is is a vulnerable psalm. It's, it's a psalm that reveals a depth of despair for the people of Israel. Um, it's a psalm of Asaph. Uh, and I think that's all I'm going to give you guys. And so we're going to go ahead and just have Natasha read that, and then we'll come back for a little more conversation on it before we dive into a discussion. So Natasha, would you read Psalm 80 for us? Yes. For the director of music to the tune of the lilies of the covenant of Asaph, a Psalm. Hear us shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. 
the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Natasha. Um, Before we jump into a a further discussion about this psalm, this lament psalm, um, there's just a a few things that I think would be appropriate to highlight um, just on the on the front end of things. And so the, the first one is um, from a context conversation, though there's not unanimous agreement on it. Um, m- there's many who would speculate or, or postulate that uh, the, the Psalm is a result of pressure that Israel is feeling from the North, specifically um, this is during a time when the kingdoms have already separated. So there's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and you have the Assyrian Empire just to the north of the northern kingdom. And uh, we know that they do come down into uh, Israel and eventually um, take over the capital of Samaria and and uh, subject them to their rule. And there, there are those who speculate that this psalm is coming in response to that specific instance where um, they're they're experiencing this overwhelming pressure, this overwhelming oppression from the Assyrian Empire, um, and they're kind of at a loss. Um, so that's the first thing that I want to touch on. Um, the other thing that I would like to touch on is just this general conversation about a lament psalm. Um, I know that, you know, we are in this season of Christmas, like for, for everybody, you would look around. I think I made a passing joke a couple of weeks ago about how Costco would have showed you that we were in the season of Christmas three months ago, but like after Thanksgiving, people start decorating for Christmas, right? And, um, we start hearing Christmas music constantly and, um, Hallmark has, you know, a Christmas movie every two hours being released, um, and so we, we just, we're in this time of Christmas and it's an exciting time. It's a joyous time. Um, and so you might wonder like, why are we starting this Advent season, right? This Christmas time with a lament Psalm. It seems a little out of place. Um, but, um, interestingly, lament Psalms make up about 70% of all of the Psalms. And so lament is kind of a big part of um, life. It's a big part of the songs that were sung to God that we have been handed through Scripture. Um, and the other interesting piece that goes with that is just just as, as prevalent as lament psalms are in Scripture, when you step into a, a modern-day like exploration of our modern worship songs, 
Interestingly, Lament is less than 50% of our current um, worship songs. So I don't know. Maybe we need to start writing some more Lament psalms or songs. I think that's a super interesting point that you make about the the number of songs that we have that are lament because in our present culture, it seems like when people ask you how you're doing the response, like they're not expecting to get this like full disclosure of like your, you know, all the things that are going on in your life, whether good or bad. And so really, especially the bad things, I think if we, we try to suppress those as, as a society just in general. And so, um, when you compare and contrast, I guess, the the 50% lament in modern day versus the 70% in biblical day, it seems like there's been a shift or a transition maybe where like the sharing of frustration or the sharing of problems or difficulties might have been something that was more prevalent that, that maybe Israel knew how to do better than we as a society today um, are comfortable with really, because again, we've talked before about how individualistic we are. And so I feel like maybe this plays into that, that piece as well. Well, I feel like it, it kind of points out to the fact that we like to rely on ourselves more. So we don't share things that we think we can control. And the, the ironic thing is, is Asaph doesn't start there. He starts with recognizing who the shepherd is. Like, he recognizes, God, you are the shepherd. Um, and then he reminds God of, of things that he's done. Before he starts into this, you know, what's what's wrong, he, he is reminding God of what he's done in the past. And he's asking that, you know, he's preparing to ask for God to shine on them like he has for those who came before them. If you're coming to a place where you're coming before God with lament, you you already have to recognize that you you can't do it. Like it would it would make sense in my mind that we would write less songs about lament because we think we can fix everything. Mm. If I think I can fix it, why do I need to bring it before God? Mm. Like we're making <laughs> we're making ourselves the main character. Like just like like we've talked about so much before on the podcast. Um, whether it was in Haggai or Malachi or Matthew, like when we make ourselves the main thing, we're we're not giving God his 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 proper place. We're not giving recognition. Whereas Asaph is starting with the recognition of, I know who you are, I know what you've done. This is what I'm going through. Now I know you can do it, because I know what you've done before. Yeah, I think so at at our table on Sunday, this conversation of um, vulnerability came up. Um, and so when when they were when we were talking about lament, uh, it was it was kind of like this um, one of the hurdles, in addition to the hurdles that you guys have already mentioned, was, you know, it's it it's vulnerable. Like we, we make ourselves vulnerable when we're lamenting, like we're, we're showing a lot, right? There, there's no cards being hidden. Now you, you see my hand. Um, and that makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, and so it's, it's like when, when you're coming to this, this time of lament, not only are you already in an uncomfortable situation, 
right? Because that's why you're lamenting, like something bad is happening, something difficult is you're encountering something difficult. So you're already in this tough spot where you feel uncomfortable. And then to even step further to acknowledge that you are uncomfortable. And as you have said, Derek, like, like how Asaph turns to recognize who God is and then ultimately comes to the place where it's like, God is the only one who can act because I can't do anything. Like it's uncomfortable because you're in an uncomfortable spot, but now it's even more uncomfortable because you're recognizing that you're, you can't do anything about it. Like when we open up, when we become vulnerable and pour ourselves out in this lament, like we are saying, I don't have the answer, which is even more uncomfortable because as you guys have pointed out, we're trained in the world that we live in by society that we, we can take care of ourselves. We're supposed to take care of ourselves. So if we ever get to a place where we can't take care of ourselves, now you've just compounded the uncomfortable situation that we are in. And so lament is not something that we come by easily. It makes me think, um, oddly enough about our toddlers. Um, you know, when I'm trying to help London and she thinks she can do it herself, it makes it very difficult for the task to get done because she is like, I got this, I'm doing it. I don't need your help, mommy. But the moment that she realizes that she can't do it and she needs help, the task is so much easier because she's given up that, that will, that very, very strong will that she has. And she's, become vulnerable. And I think that's really where God does his best work when he doesn't have to fight with us. When we just say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to fix this. I need you. I think that's exactly where he wants us to be. Yeah. We, we, it's like we draw from like in our position of weakness, we draw from his strength because we can't do it. And, you know, as you were talking, Nick, I just thought about how, how we're trained to like uh, being vulnerable is like being like a, almost like a sign of weakness, like in yep. a very mm-hmm. like yep. masculine society, like, you know, for a man, like it, if you show like any kind of emotion, you're, you're weak. And like, you're asking, like God is asking for us to be willing to be okay with being weak, even though that's not what you would typically hear. Like, and in society for men, you can't be weak. You have to be strong. You have to be tough. You have to put on this, like this armor, like that nobody can penetrate. And God wants the very opposite. He would much rather me be in the position of Asaph where I'm weak and I come before him recognizing that I am weak. And the only way I'm going to be made strong is if you make me strong. Vulnerability is really interesting to me. And I've <clears throat> listened to books and podcasts, um, specifically Brene Brown. She's done a lot of, um, a lot of interesting, um, research into vulnerability. And it's so interesting because it's something that we try so hard to prevent. Like, you know, when I'm at work, I do not want anybody to see my vulnerability. I don't, I, I want them to see, you know, I know what I'm doing. I've got this. I don't, you know, I, I don't need, anybody to help me because I, I know what I'm doing. Um, but you work so hard to protect your, the way that you feel and your, your, that vulnerability. But the moment that it starts, that facade starts to crack and people get a look and a glimpse inside to, to your vulnerability, that's where the best things happen. 
you know, that's where you become the best leader. When your team can look at you and say, you know what, she's struggling. And instead of just struggling by herself and thinking she can do it, she is asking for help. And she's, you know, that's really where magic happens. And I think that's true with Jesus. You know, we, we try so hard to protect and keep things. And, you know, I'm, you know, Jesus, you, you've done all this for me. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I, I know I'm going to do it for you. We're going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it because we just, that's our personalities. I think a lot of us is we can do this on our own when in truth we can't. And it's once those, he, things start coming to the surface, that vulnerability comes out that really he can start doing the really good stuff. As you were sharing the example of in like a workplace situation and talking about groups, it made me think and reflect on the relationships that we have available to us in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, and from a church perspective, it's very difficult to be vulnerable with one another. Um, you want to put on this persona, especially people who have leadership. grown up in the church or if you're in leadership, yeah. um, of of like, I have this all together. I'm, I'm not struggling with this. I don't have any problems. Like really everything is good. And you kind of live, you try to live this out. And it, it's possible that this might be a reason why we see such a like drop off in like pastoral leadership in all reality is that they're never given the space to lament amongst their church congregation, which as I'm listening to you talk, Brittany, when, when you as a leader are willing to humble yourself, right. And, and then, and then allow like other people to come in and share their experiences and, and, and kind of help you along. And when we do that in the church, right, when we, when we humble ourselves and we allow the others around us to hear our story, hear our lament, and then, and then speak Jesus into us or just be there with us through it, it's, that's where God does the miracles. That's where, that's where we really get to see the beauty of the gift of the church. Um, there's so many things about the church that can be so ugly and so difficult and so hard that I think we, we've all built up these walls in expectation of the worst. Um, but if we can have a reset, if we can start over as the church and we can trust one another with our vulnerability and, and really allow ourselves to be one, then I think we're going to get to see a lot of that really, really cool stuff, Brittany, that you're referring to happening in our churches. Yeah, I guess as I, I think about that, if I were to, to, to think of a modern day, like lament psalm being spoken, you know, psalm of Nick or something like that, um, I'm not going to give you one because I'm not a psalmist. <laughs> um, but if I were, I were to think about that, and and I you know spoke a, a lament psalm. Unfortunately, I, I fear that the culture of the church today would not be receptive of that. Right, like you said earlier, Derek. Like it, it would be viewed as as weakness. It would be viewed um, as somehow you're you're less than who you're supposed to be. Um, you know, we have we have this doctrine of entire sanctification that we talk about in the church of the Nazarene. And um, 
the the misunderstandings associated with that doctrine would if somebody were to share a lament psalm from their heart they would probably be challenged even on theological grounds and so you just you you find yourself in a tough place but really as the church like this is this is what the church is for this is this is why why Asaph was able to sing this psalm it, like he he pens this psalm and it's not just something for him like the nation of Israel is singing this psalm with him period and we should be able to have these psalms of lament that we are singing today where even if somebody is not going through exactly what I am going through because of the unity that we have in Christ as I am broken, so are they. Rather than people seeing broken people and saying, you're broken, people would see broken people, would hear broken people crying out, and they would say, we are broken. Because he or she is broken, we are broken. And as as Brittany said, you know, that's when the magic happens in, in the workplace. Like, this is when... Like Jesus can really do some re- just incredible things in in his body and through his body when we have this vulnerability with each other. Nick, as you were saying that, actually, while you were saying that, before you t- started talking about it, I wrote the word space because I think that's one thing that is missing, um, not just in the church, but I think a lot in the world too, um, a space for vulnerability. We have to, it's hard. It's hard for me sometimes when Derek is talking to me and he's being vulnerable about something. And I am, I have a lot of empathy. So it's really hard for me to listen to things and not have so much empathy that it kind of brings me down. And, but I think we need to remember that we're not perfect. And I, and I think we need to remember that the people around us aren't perfect because if we hold each other up on pedestals, we're really just going to, you know, upset or disappoint somebody. Um, but recognizing that we all need a space and knowing who, this doesn't sound weird, but like knowing who the safe space is, I don't want to sound too like, well, I mean, I didn't want that to sound too. I, I think the truth, the truth in, in what you were just saying, Brittany, is, or the reality is, the safe place should be the church. Mm-hmm. Like, anywhere in the church, that, that, that should be the safe space for somebody to, to be vulnerable, to open up. Um, whether it is or not, I mean, I don't want to speak for, on behalf of, you know, every other church in the world, but I know sometimes it's not necessarily the case. It really makes me want to ask the question of if it if the church hasn't become a safe space, is that because the people that God has called to lead haven't been willing to be vulnerable to help other people know that it's okay to be vulnerable? Um, because like, how are people going to know it's okay to be vulnerable if like they don't see it? If if I'm not being vulnerable before people. How are they going to know it's okay? Um, how are they going to know that it's a safe space 
if I'm not willing to be vulnerable. Because if I'm asking somebody to be vulnerable, I should be helping people see what that looks like. Modeling is a word we say a lot. I should be modeling that for others to see because if I want people to know that it's okay, not just in here, like where we meet, but out when when we're gathered or when, you know, a few of us are gathered, it should be safe all the time to know that this isn't a judgment, a place of judgment. This is a place where we're all coming before God. We're all trying to grow closer to God. We're all trying to listen and and respond to what he's saying. And so if I don't model it, I can't expect other people to know how to go away and do it. What's amazing, I feel like, is that a lot of the things that people would be maybe fearful to share because of judgment specifically. So a lot of those specific things, really, we as a church should be celebrating the fact because, right, we, we don't, God doesn't judge the action. He's judging our heart. And so that's a repentant heart that's becoming vulnerable in most of those instances and saying out of lament, I need help in this thing. Um, or I'm grieved that this is happening or that I've done this or whatever, whatever the case may be. I feel like that all the more should be celebrated because that's, that's a heart of repentance. And that's a, right. that, that, that man, that there's nothing, you know, there's nothing better than that in the church to have that kind of transparency and honesty and just wanting something new and wanting something better. And, but recognizing, you know, I don't have it yet and I need it and I want it. And won't you help me in this? Won't you support me in this? And, and that component of the church, it's missing. It's missing. I mean, we had somebody share on Sunday, um, Nick at, at the close, you asked people if they were willing to be vulnerable and every word that was said by this individual, I was like, I, I, I can, like my heart understands what you're saying because I don't know who hasn't felt those same things. Like, I guess I had that kind of feeling of what you were saying. I didn't echo that out loud, but I was like, you know, I was saying, amen. Like, I agree. Like, I understand where you're going. I understand where you've been. I've, I feel that at times. And so, yeah, we should be able to, instead of just listening, like, there should be some kind of response so that people know that they're not alone, like they're not going through this alone. And so, Jesus, maybe that's your, your um, trying to speak to me to say, hey, look, you need to um, approach them and say, hey, look, I understand where you've been. I, I, I'm thankful that you are willing to share because I know that you echoed that sentiment, but I don't know if anybody else did. Like, thank you for sharing what was on your heart because that does set the framework for people to know, like, this is a safe space because what was shared was, was real. Like that was really good stuff that we should be celebrating. So when I think about like why, why we don't feel that we can be vulnerable um, specifically in the church. And I think about, you know, the worldly um, examples of leadership that we see and the world sees leaders as powerful and strong and, you know, these, these tower, this tower of power, you know, and we look in scripture and we know that that is not, that's not the kind of leader that Jesus was. And I think far too often we get wrapped up in what the world sees 
as strong and what the world sees as important. And we forget this man who came as a baby that was humble and kind and lovely and didn't boast. He wasn't, you know, tearing down, you know, anything. He, he was just so kind and spoke so much truth, but still was such an amazing leader. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to accept. We, I think it would be, I think most won't admit it, but I think it's hard for people to accept that kind of leadership because it's so far off from what we see in our world. Because he looks weak, <laughs> like us. Jesus had this added benefit of being perfect. And in our humanity, we're not. And that peace, I think, is, that's probably the hang-up of being this, this humble leader that we know we should be. Right? as we follow after Christ and as we try to be like him. But there's this piece of, but I'm not perfect and I can't let people see mm-hmm. those imperfections because it undermines this, this tower of power. You know. So we treat it like we have something to lose. The irony in that is that God's the one that called us to these positions. <laughs> and so like, what what do we really have that we can lose in this? Because everything that we have is is from Him. But I think it's hard to always be in that that heart that Asaph at least was at this point. Like he comes from a place of humility, and obviously circumstances can lead to humility. No, um, they can, but that shouldn't be our only motive motivating factor to to like come come as like a leader or in as a follower of Christ like it shouldn't be our our goal to be anything than other than coming from a position of humility regardless of what's taking place and um you know I also have to wonder like I don't I don't know obviously I don't know their circumstances and what they were going through but you know we talk always about living this horizontal life and living moment by moment and his grace is like shining upon us. The question really is, is like, are we looking for it? Are we just too stuck in our circumstance to see like his favor shining upon us? Because I don't think we can really measure what his favor should look like. Like it, it's going to look different in every believer. Like his favor doesn't look the same. Um, and so not that his favor is not the same, but everybody's circumstances are different. And so it looks different in everybody's life. And so, I mean, if we're focused on the circumstance, it's easy to have his light suppressed. That was a conversation that we had a lot around our table. I'm not trying to diminish what they were going through, but... I think bringing it back to kind of what you discussed, Derek, at the beginning of he, he comes with this lament, right? Focused on his circumstances, but his first focus... With is, Jesus. Yeah. yeah it's God. God. I, I yeah. know, I know what you can do. I know what you've done and I believe you will do it again. God, will you come do it now? Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's this lament 
it's this, this tragedy and this frustration and disappointment and probably fear, but it's, it's rooted in, in hope. And it's rooted in, in belief that he will deliver and he will do it again, even though they can't see how this is even possible. And it's rooted in a right understanding of who God is. Like, God, you are shepherd. And I mean, last time I checked, I, I don't know much about shepherding. I don't know much about lambs. I don't even know how they taste. I don't think I've ever had a lamb chop. <laughs> Sorry. We need to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Sorry, Brittany. Um, Keep your lambs from Brittany. Right. But like, from what I understand, like a a lamb does not do anything on its own. Like it it is dependent on the shepherd for survival, period. What? It's dumb. It's much like us. Not very smart. (laughs) Not very smart is the nicer way to say that. Um. And so, I mean, just from the from the beginning of this psalm, Asaph orients himself in the situation where he is, with every word that he is saying, even you know, even though that the the, the complaint is coming, with every word he is saying, he is saying, "I am not sufficient to address this. Only you are." And so there is this humility, and and yeah, you point out like. It seems like it's circumstances that maybe humble him, but this is this is the life that we are invited into. And so now, you know, we stepped back to, to Psalm eighty. I'm going to step back from it, you know, into into our life now. And like, we are invited into this life of of constant humility, because the truth is, whether it's a bad circumstance or just everyday life, like we are insufficient. We are on our own inadequate to live the life that we are living. Like we have been created in his image with the intention of living in his kingdom, being subject to his rule in our life. Like we're dependent on him. And so the truth of the matter is we should always be crying out and maybe our lament songs, Psalms would sound really weird if there wasn't some terrible tragedy. But the truth is we should be always in this place where we are recognizing our need for his intervention, his work in our life. Well, yeah, because you see what their life was like with God in it. Yeah. As I consider the, I don't know, it popped into my head the thought of not including God in lament. And if you don't include God, if like your lament is devoid of God, then it's really just complaining. It's just complaining. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just complaining. Not. So uh, it, it's yeah. it's important to root it in recognizing who God is and what he is capable of doing in the midst of the suffering. And so I know that, you know, in... In this season of Advent, you know, every different Sunday represents something, some kind of theme. And this week's theme is is light. And so it seems weird or seems odd to talk so heavily about this idea of lament, to read a lament psalm, to find ourselves in the midst of like difficult situations, difficult circumstances, and yet have this theme of light. But I think what Asaph walks us through in Psalm 80, we begin to understand how we can hold both of these things at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Like just because we are in the middle of the worst storm we have ever experienced doesn't mean that we can't also simultaneously be holding hope, be holding the, the, the reality that we know who God is and that God is with us. And so, you know, I, I, again, I recognize that even though this season is full of lots of, you know, fun and and smiling and laughter and, and joyous occasions, it's not that for everybody. And, you know, people are going to be facing difficult situations. We are all facing difficult situations if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, talking about vulnerability. So as we find ourselves calling out, you know, how long, oh God, the truth is that even in this lament, as we come to him, in recognition that he is the only one who can do anything about it, we are simultaneously holding onto the reality of the light. In the midst of the lament, when we come to him, we hold the light. As we journey through this season of Advent together, we recommend purchasing Joy of Every Longing Heart, an Advent devotional which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.